Um, so we come together on what is Palm Sunday, um, and we're not going to do a message on Palm Sunday on that topic, but this would have been the day when Christ would have returned into Jerusalem, being welcomed by um, cries of Hosanna uh, and uh, palm branches being laid down as he came in. Um, and obviously, a big change would happen over the course of the week. Many of the people, I believe, that were laying down those palm branches would um, be those that would be yelling for his crucifixion just days later. Um, and so we come into this week and we recognize that it's leading to um, really the purpose of God in Christ in this world. Um, and so just to keep that in the back of our minds, um, because what he did on Calvary's cross, what he purchased is allowing us to do what we're going to talk about today in this um, section of Ephesians, because at the very, uh, in verse 20, it's, we're giving thanks to God in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all because of Jesus Christ, and so we need to remember that. Um, but um, our topic today is um, uh, continuing forward in this, these, this theme of different uh, descriptions of our walk. Uh, and today, um, we live in a day and age that boasts in man's wisdom, um, that man has figured out a lot of stuff. Uh, we, we have a tremendous, um, different world, a modern world that is, that has come a long ways in the last hundred or 200 years. We have entire computers and cameras that fit in our pockets uh, we have artificial intelligence now that's smart enough to write essays and computer code, self-driving cars or, and breakthroughs in medical science, and uh, once in a while, even weather predictions that can be a- accurate days in advance. Um, so it begs the question, what is true wisdom? Uh, what is wisdom? Is, is that wise? Are those things a sign of wisdom? Um, now, a, Webster's basic, a basic Webster's definition of wisdom would be the right use of knowledge. So knowledge isn't wisdom in and of itself. You have to know how to use it. You could know a lot of stuff and not be able to do anything, and that would not be wise. But the right use of knowledge or right exercise of knowledge leaves something out that we don't that we 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 have to define. It says like who gets to determine what is right? Right use. Um, how do we know what is the right use of knowledge? We could use knowledge for many different things. What is right? And Psalm 111 in verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So there is a recognition that God is involved in wisdom, in right wisdom, and what that right use of knowledge is. In fact, the wisdom of the world in the Bible is called, or the wisdom of the world with, without God, that is, is called foolishness. 1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So, there might be a disconnect then between what the world is able to conjure up and what true wisdom is. Um, and as we return to Ephesians 5, um, Remember that in verse 1 of this chapter, the context is we are being called to follow or imitate or mimic God because we're his children. If we are born again, if we have claimed Christ as our Savior, 
repented from sin and submitted ourselves to him as our Lord, then we need to imitate him. We need to follow him. And it's the different aspects of this walk. Um, verse 2 says we walk in love. And that, that, that took us down to uh, roughly verse 7. And then last week, there was um, in verse 8, walk as children of light. So there was a walk of light. And so now we come to verse 15, where we see a walk that is a walk of wisdom, a wisdom that is from above. And we see, don't walk as fools in verse 15, but as wise. So wisdom that imitates God, that, that's our goal. Our goal is to imitate God, so we need to walk wisely. Um, so there's a connection there. We need wisdom that imitates God. And so what does that look like? And so I'm going to take this one verse at a time, and there's going to be seven different aspects of the wise Christian walk uh, that, we, that I want to consider. Um, and that's our title this morning is A Wise Walk, um, just like last week would have been A Walk in Light. So let's begin in verse 15. Verse 15 says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. So our first uh, heading this morning, our first uh, aspect of a wise walk is a wise walker makes good use of his eyes. A wise walker makes good use of his eyes. <clears throat> so anyone who walks around needs to know their surroundings. They need to know where they're going. They need to know where the path is. They need to know what obstacles they may run into. They have, eyes need to be open. They have open eyes. That's why we talked about last week, walking in darkness is dangerous. We can hurt ourselves. Uh, and so we need to recognize this fact about the Christian life. Um, just as we are no longer darkness, as we studied last time, we no longer have a reason to um, walk in this world just reacting to whatever comes our way. Um, again, we're supposed to imitate God, per verse 1. And so Christians, as blood-bought children of God, need to seek and imitate him. And we should not kid ourselves that we can walk around like unbelievers and become a better imitator of God. That's not going to work. He's saying, don't walk as fools, in verse 15, but as wise. And again, uh, Proverbs 1.7 uh, contrasts the, uh, this, this idea. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it's a pretty basic definition. If you're a fool, you're not wise. Um, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, so if you're a Christian, you need to walk with the fear of God. Um, and, and what is a fear of God? It's not a you know, like, oh no, God's going to get me type of fear. It is a constant awareness of the presence of God in your life, a reverence before him, a recognition of him. And so what's going to help us do that? Because it says that, that we need to walk circumspectly, and you can kind of take circumspectly, and, and uh, um, you can take spect, you're looking, spectacles, and you're circum, you're looking around you. You need to keep an eye around you um, as you walk. You need to know your surroundings. <clears throat> What's going to help you do that? You know, is it a, it, 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 this isn't a natural or a physical walk that we're talking about. This is a walk in, as a Christian to imitate God in a spiritual way. We need to walk, again, with the fear of the Lord. And what's going to help us with that? Well, the Bible is going to help us with that. Psalm 119 and verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So we fear the Lord, we seek to obey his commandments, 
and then God's word instructs us what to do and the path we should take, it would make sense that if we were to use this, then it would help us to imitate him because he wrote it. It's God's word to us. This is, how, this is our main tool to use to walk circumspectly. So we have to ask ourselves, do we walk right into temptation because we are not looking? Or do we walk with all of the world's suggestions on how we should walk? Or is the Bible our guidebook? And, and remember, walking here is kind of a, a metaphor for living the Christian life. So do we do that by, and we want to do it in a way that imitates God. So God's kind of um, um, handbook for doing that is a good place to start. Now, when the apostles were sent out with a message of the gospel, um, in the, in, in, when they were first being commissioned, uh, Jesus instructs them as, fo- as follows in Matthew ten sixteen. He says, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. So it was dangerous where he was sending them. He was sending them to unbelievers, to people that might hate them, want to kill them. He says, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So we need to walk wisely. When we walk into situations where our faith may be attacked, do we have wisdom? Can we defend our faith? Can we, as the Bible would say, give a reason of the hope that is in us with meekness and fear? So the first thing we need to do in our walk is to keep our eyes open and walk in wisdom. So secondly, in verse 16, a wise walker makes good use of the clock, redeeming the time because the days are evil. If I only had more time. We hear and probably maybe even use uh, this phrase all the time. It never seems that we have enough time. And as the years go by, it seems the times go faster. And there's more and more that we want to do and less and less time to do it. And so the question is, what are we doing with the time that we have? Are we, as this verse says, redeeming it? And the verb redeeming literally means to ransom or to buy back, to buy back the time. Are we making good on a purchase of our time? Because before our salvation, none of us... None of our time was used to bring glory to God. We cannot bring glory to God without acting in faith. Um, We don't accidentally bring glory to God. And that's our chief end. That's what we're designed for. And so when we place our faith and trust in Christ alone for salvation, we become his purchased possession. We become his servant. We become his slave. And we remember that God is the author of time. He created time. He transcends time. He is not bound by time. He is the author of time itself. And so even when we were unaware of God or unaware, maybe we were aware of him in the deepest heart because God has revealed himself to us through creation, even when we weren't acknowledging him, our time was his time. But now that we know him, we must recognize this fact. Our time is his time. What are we doing with his time? Are we taking it back from the worldly pursuits we were on um, and making, uh, 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 are, we, are we moving it away from the, those things that we were pursuing before we were born again? And there is much to distract us from making use of our time wisely. Distractions abound in this day and age of the internet or having a device in your pocket that you can be reached at any hour of the day. Um, 
And we might lose a second here or a minute there and time gets gobbled up. But, I mean, we might look at a lot of trivial pursuits and say, well, there are things that we're not, yeah, I shouldn't do that. That's eating up my time. But good things can take up our time. Good things can divert us and not help help us to redeem the time. Our jobs can become a slave driver to us. Who owns the time that we are using? If someone, if you had to present a chart of how you use your time each day, um, you can find out what's important to you. We dedicate, we, we make time for the things that are important to us. Where is service to God on the list? Where is growing in the word on the list? Or sharing the word on the list? Bringing God glory. It's really underpin everything that we do. And it says not just that we should redeem the time, but redeeming the time because the days are evil. We live in a world consumed with evil. Evil thoughts, evil words, and evil actions. And we must not waste our valuable time getting tangled in the things of the world. Also, it's a very special time. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. It is a day to proclaim Christ to the lost and dying world around us, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and then in the, in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So there is time for this today because it's what God has called us to. God's mercy upon mankind will come to an end and that time will be done and judgment will be next. And there will at that point be no more time to do the works of God in this world. So on our Christian walk, when we're seeking to imitate God, we need to make good use of our eyes and good use of our time. Thirdly, let's move to verse 17. And look at the fact that a wise walker remembers why he is walking. A wise walker remembers why he is walking. Verse 17, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. So we're digging um, into the source of the wisdom now of the wise walk. This is what is going to allow us to be better imitators of God and his son. And in this verse, Paul is drawing a contrast between the unwise, right, or the fool or foolish walk and what the wise walk looks like. Don't be unwise, but be wise. And what's showing you that? The will of the Lord. The will of the Lord. We, need, we are to be understanding or wise in what the will of the Lord is. And you need to remember that is why you're on the walk. It's why you're living the Christian life if you're a Christian. So think of this analogy Think of being a messenger. You're sent by a king to bring an important message to the king's army. You're on his mission. You've been sent by him to deliver this. And your trip is dangerous and there's many things that could distract you. But you have something you need. You have a time you need to be there. There's a message you need to deliver. You need to do it. And there might be alternative paths. There might be more than one way to get there. And you might be tempted at times to kind of take the walk into your own hands and kind of well, I know a better way. I know a shortcut. Um, or there's a guide I could go find, and, and, and he would be able to bring me there faster, faster than the route that the king gave me. And so you might ask yourself, well, what must you do? You've been giving your marching orders by one in authority over you. And the question is, is do you obey that authority and the path that he has laid? Now, this analogy breaks down because 
the king, in my analogy, would be mortal, uh, finite. He um, might not know all the ways. But we have the omniscient God that is instructing us. The king does not have all power like our God does. <clears throat> so how much more should we stick to the path that he has laid out in his word and his will as we carry out his work? It should be common sense that if you're on a walk that has the ultimate goal of mimicking God, that you would desire to carry out his will in the walk. You're not going to, try, you're not going to become more like God man's way. That contradicts itself. There is no way for man to become more like God in and of himself. That's what the first three chapters of this letter were all about. God needing to work in our lives to bring us to a knowledge of himself. Remember, we opened, we mentioned this verse in Psalm 111 verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, as we've been doing our um, Bible studies in the book of Romans, we've been examining outcomes lately uh, that we've been all in verse uh, chapter 12. Um, and we've been looking at outcomes that fall out of the beginning verses of Romans 12. And I'll read verse 2 um, just to remember. It says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're called to prove the will of God and, 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 told, and we're told that it's good and acceptable and perfect. And so what does it mean to prove it? Well, the word prove means to test, put it to the test. So as a born again Christian, if you are born again, then you have a transformed mind, not only a new heart, but a new mind. And so with that mind, we can study the scriptures. We can learn what the will of God is. And then we can put it to the test. We can prove it. And this experience of proving it is what turns our knowledge of God into wisdom. It can only be done with a transformed mind. So we learn what the will of God is. And then we prove it. We put it to the test. We say, I have faith that God will be faithful to his word. I will do what he's asked me to do. And as we see him working those things out in our lives, we gain wisdom. And so this can only be done, again, with a transformed mind. So it can only be done by the Christian. It is a work of God. And so uh, we have to understand why we're on the walk. Um, but let's continue forward in our verse by verse here and to verse 18. A wise walker is intoxicated with God rather than the things of the world. So a wise walker is intoxicated with God rather than the things of the world. It says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the spirit. And this is really just a simple contrast. Don't be filled with wine. Be filled with the spirit. Um, <clears throat> uh, Paul contrasts a walk under the influence of alcohol versus a walk under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Now, the first part of the verse says, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. And that's always been a kind of an interesting phrase. Wherein is excess? What does that mean? Um, there's a lot of different ways that, that translations handle uh, the, those words. Um, the word excess, um, that, that's translated excess, has the meaning, like has something that has no hope of safety. Um, extravagant squandering. Or prodigality, I mean, you remember the prodigal son. 
the CSB translates this phrase, which leads to reckless living. And we can see that happen, right? That sometimes that, that, that can be step one into other sins. Now, we know that the Bible warns of drunkenness. Uh, Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Well, that connects right to what we're trying to do here, a wise walk. What about Proverbs 23, verse 29 through 33? It says, Who has woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine, look not upon, upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its, his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. And that's given, you know, it says strange women there because he, this is um, um, Solomon's uh, wisdom to his son, um, <clears throat> things to avoid. We're not speaking, today we're not speaking about whether uh, any use of alcohol is prohibited in Scripture. What we're talking about is drunkenness, because that is what is uh, being uh, talked about here, expressed to us in this contrast. Don't be filled with wine, be filled with the Spirit. Isaiah 5.11 says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, they, that they may follow strong drink that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the viol and the tabard and the pipe and wine are in their feasts. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of his hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. And their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Finally, the Apostle Paul, who our writer, the writer of this letter here, says in 1 Corinthians 6.10, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. So a drunk walk is not a wise walk. And if we're over, uh, clearly, if we're overcome with strong drink, following the course of God, that God has laid out for us will be more difficult, if not impossible. But it's just a picture, I believe, because men can become um, intoxicated with other things in this world, things that consume them. Um, and whether it be uh, sports or a hobby or something that can fully consume their, their desires and their life. Um, and for the Christian, we can have these things start to take our eyes off of God. Um, and again, we already said some of the things that we might take our eyes of God, off of God for aren't like sinful things. They could just be things that consume us and don't show the world that God is our highest treasure. Now, instead, it says, but be filled with the Spirit, the capital S Spirit, or Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. Now, the Holy Spirit dwells within believers. So, I don't believe being filled with the Spirit means being indwelt with the Spirit, because Paul is writing to believers, and all believers, all born-again children of God, have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwelling within them. But it's also, it appears from the context of this verse or the way it's written that being filled with the Spirit is not something that's permanent. It is, it is, it can be lost or it can be, um, it can be, it can be gained. And that might be lost uh, because you're consumed with a desire, in this case, to be drunk with wine. So what does being filled with the Spirit mean? 
I believe being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely submitted to the will of God, which you are trying to learn because of verse 17, humbly seeking the Lord to be led by the Spirit to produce its fruit. Let me say that again. Being filled with the Holy Spirit means to be completely submitted to the will of God, humbly seeking the Lord, to be led by the Spirit to produce its fruit. You say, fruit? What fruit? Um, Galatians 5.22 gives us the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So, and there's a, there's a, there's a big uh, contrast there. You can see maybe in that list of the fruit of the Spirit, probably the largest contrast between being filled with the Spirit and being filled with wine is temperance. Uh, self-control versus loss of self-control. Being drunk opens us up to other sins, while being submitted wholly to the Holy Spirit opens us up to his fruit. And so the bottom line is we are to be intoxicated with the things of God. God should fill us. His spirit should fill us. We should be humbled and consumed by serving him, not the things of the world. All right, verse 19. A wise walker refreshes himself and others. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So we might ask, what's going on in the mind of the wise walker? The walker who's following the path, who has the, the, the eyes open, circumspectly, he's looking around, he knows why he's going, he's sent by the Lord. Um, what's going through his mind? How does he stay motivated to stay on the path? And it's really a beautiful image here in verse 19. You could say the wise walker is singing and humming to themselves and ultimately to the Lord. <clears throat> and so what are the keys here? In this verse, um, speaking, it says speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So we need to, we're going to talk a little bit about music here, but before we get into that, the, the first word there is speaking. The message is more important than the melody. The music of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is a means to keep our words or to keep words about our God and our Savior fresh in our minds. No doubt you've heard some song whether you're at the uh, Walmart or you're at the dentist um, or you're at the orthodontist um, and you get a song stuck in your head because of the tune. And frequently, if you can, you'd ask people today about the music that they enjoy, what the words actually say, they, they may not know. But you can't get that song on your head. And there's a barrage of information being directed at our minds every day um, that is trying to divert us from the path of wisdom that we were talking about, which is the will of God. Now, it can be directed at our ears, but it also involves other senses, mostly the eyes as well. Um, And our defense is not to just put our fingers in our ears, cover our eyes and walk around. That would be not circumspectly. That wouldn't be wise at all. We can't just avoid it at all times. We're to combat this barrage by filling ourselves with the words of praise and worship to God and our Savior. To remember the work of Christ on the cross. To be humble um, and, and gratitude to the God who quickened us and gave us eternal life. And before I get into the three divisions here, um, 
when it says speaking to yourselves, it does not mean that you're just speaking to yourself. It means you're speaking to others as well. It's, it's, it's the, the, the way the English word there, yourselves, is to not just you. This shouldn't just be you. Um, it is to speaking to you and those around you. Um, but you do it in three different ways here. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And so let's talk briefly about each one. And that's exactly what the name of our church hymnal is. Uh, so Psalms. These, this is pretty easy. They come from the Psalms. <laughs> Um, they come from the Psalter, the, the Old Testament book of Psalms. It's the song book for the children of Israel. And they continue to have relevant themes for us today. We've even talked about some of them. Um, the word is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. Uh, so there's an important, there's a need to sing from them, which, of course, we didn't do it today because we added in um, some Easter hymns, but uh, that's why we sing from the Psalms. Um, because this is something we need to have in our hearts. And they're the ins- so, so take these ones. The Psalms are the inspired songs of God. They are the inspired songs of God. Now, hymns. Now, hymns comes from the word hymnos in Greek, so you can see how we got our English word. Um, and it generally means a song of praise to God. Now, they don't have to originate with the exact words of Scripture, as the Psalms are the words of Scripture. Uh, they, so these are not inspired. Um, but they frequently do give many praises to God and, and they draw on truths of Scripture. Um, they'd be consistent with the themes and teachings of the Scripture. So when we sang, Christ the Lord is risen today, that would be a hymn. It is, there are truths in it that are scriptural. In fact, when we open it and you sing it, you can see all the different references to the Bible that, that, that are showing you that where these truths are coming from. And so it's a hymn of praise to God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is a truth. And finally is a spiritual song. Now the Greek word translated spiritual song is ode. So we get our English word ode from. Um, so an ode to this or something like, like that. Uh, it's a more general category. And so while these songs remain spiritual um, in nature, their themes may not be directing praise to God. So Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a kid's song, but it is just stating something that we is true, but it's not directing praise to God. Um, and so uh, you see the different categories here. And so returning our thoughts to these, these things, these, these songs, um, um, frequently... Uh, keeps our minds on spiritual things, prays to God, and, and reminds us of his promises. They refresh the wise walker. They remind him of the great truths of scripture and keep his mind from being distracted by the fiery darts of the devil, which continually seek to inflict us and take us off the path of God. <clears throat> Again, you see, we're trying to stay on the path. There's distractions and there's tools in our tool belt to keep us on the path. Let's go to the sixth observation this morning in verse 20 a wise walker is thankful in the walk giving thanks always for all things unto god and the father in the name of our lord jesus christ now our wise walker needs to maintain a heart of gratitude in his walk thanksgiving has been mentioned before actually in this chapter back in verse 4 he said, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. So we need to be giving thanks 
And in that context, in verse four, we were saying our, our tongues should be being used not for crude jokes and, and foolish talking, but they should be, or unwise speech, it should be used for thanksgiving. But here in verse 20, there are some additional aspects of thanksgiving for us to consider. First, we are to be thankful for all things. <laughs> all things. Is that like really true? Like, can I, am I supposed to be thankful for that toe that I stubbed in the middle of the night? What about bigger things in our lives? Am I supposed to be thankful for my mom's who is in failing health? How can I be thankful for all things? It's because God's word promises that to the Christian, all things are working to our good. In fact, many of our challenges are refining us and preparing us to be more useful in the service of God. So how do we know that we can be thankful for all things? We can be thankful for all things from verses like this, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Or James 1, verses 2 and 3, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or tests or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Or 1 Peter 1, 7, That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, the only reason, the only way we can be thankful for all things is if we believe God is sovereign. If God is not sovereign in control over all aspects of this world, then there are things that are happening without his oversight and outside of his decrees and we can't believe then that they might be for our benefit. Joseph recognized this in the Old Testament. Remember, he was sold. Uh, and they, they, his brothers were, were jealous of him. And they were uh, upset at him. He'd had the dreams that, that it said they were going to bow to him. And they, were, they, they, they sold him into slavery as a youth. But when he confronts them later in life, after having God, God having exalted him for his really his service to God, his, his humility before God, his love of God, he tells them in Genesis 50 and verse 20, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. So they thought evil, and while they were doing evil, it was actually God working good. God means all things to our good. And so you can see the object of the thanksgiving here in verse 20. Unto God and Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The reason that we can be thankful for all things, even the difficult and challenging things, is only because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We come to God and express our gratitude in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he alone has purchased all the, the goodness in all things for us. Without his shed blood, everything is not good for us. In fact, the Bible says the wrath of God abides on us. That is not good. <laughs> That's not good. So without placing our full faith and trust in his finished work, all things are not good for us. 
Oh, that we would submit to Christ, claim him as our Savior and Lord, and then express gratitude to God for now working all things for our good as we daily walk with him. If we do not do that, all things are not for our good. We have one more observation now in verse 21, our seventh and final. A wise walker doesn't go it alone. A wise walker doesn't go it alone. Verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. <laughs> so a Christian in the church of, in church of Christ is not on a solo walk. So this little gadget on my wrist, this watch, sets up, has a, uh, well, it did have, I turned it off, but it has a little goal. Like every day you should take this many steps, you should burn this many calories. Um, and as I go for a jog or I walk, it adds up steps and calories. It brings me closer to my goal for the day. And when I reach the goal, my watch congratulates me. Good job. You did it. Uh, good work. Um, that's not how this walk works. It's not just setting personal goals and hitting them every day. And while we are independent beings, we are not walking with self-set goals. We are walking together on a God-set path. We are walking with others in the local church and in the universal church of believers. We're all on a path of wanting to be more like Christ. And this is not like a look at me, see how Christ-like I am today type of walk. That's not a walk of wisdom. That's a walk of arrogance. Um, that Our goal isn't the recognition of others, nor is it simply achieving personal goals. It's based on a fear of God, right? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. When we say a fear of God was a constant awareness of the presence of God with us in every step we take. And again, it's not a scream and run away fear. It's a reverence. In fact, the ESV translates it, submitting one to another out of reverence. So what does it mean to submit one to another? Uh, Harold Honer's commentary on Ephesians wisely points out that in Christ's ministry, the important new command that he gave the disciples regarded how they were to treat each other. In fact, it becomes the defining characteristic of Christ followers. This is what Jesus says to his disciples in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Submitting one to another is a humbling experience. Are you willing to have others give you feedback? How you're doing on your way? In our country, and in some ways, especially in this part of our country, there's a history of independence, right? I can do it myself. I'm all set. And it may be kind of uncomfortable for us to come out of our comfort zones and be willing to be submissive before another Christian. Well, it's like, I, I can be submissive before God, but not, not some other Christian. I don't, want, I, don't want, I don't want that. It also may take us out of our comfort zones to be willing to look at another Christian and offer help. But the Bible tells us in Proverbs eleven fourteen, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We need to submit to the wisdom of others and have them submit to us. Back and forth. Recognizing that pattern that God has designed and submitting ourselves to each other keeps us on a safe path. Each other are part of the tools that God has given us to stay on the path. 
Others might see our blind spots. We may have an experience that somebody else could benefit by. And that shows the mutual love that Christ commanded to the disciples. And what's awesome about that is he says, that's how they're going to know that you're a Christian, is how you treat one another. Not just that, oh, look at me, all the Christians are, you know, bookworms that get real, a lot of knowledge, but they don't actually do anything with it. No, we're known by what we do, not by what, not by what we know. So let's just uh, recall the seven aspects of the wise Christian walk that we examined this morning. A wise walker makes good use of his eyes. A wise walker makes good use of the clock and the time is life. A wise walker remembers why he's walking. He is sent by the Lord, the ultimate king. He's on a uh, journey, a path that is set by the omniscient, omnipotent God. A wise walker is intoxicated with God rather than the things of this world. And on the walk, a wise walker refreshes himself and others, and there is a place for doing that with music. A wise walker is thankful in the walk. Gratitude, because we are on the walk and not on the other walk, the walk that has God's wrath abiding on it. And then finally, a wise walker doesn't go it alone. And all of these different elements of the wise walk have an important role in helping us fulfill verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. It allows us to imitate him better. And the idea of a walk makes it sound like, which is true, this is not a one-day activity. This is a lifetime walk. This isn't just a quick go out for a stroll. It's every day. Ultimately, God's promise that he will complete the work he has begun in us if we are his children, conforming us completely to the image of his son and making the imitation complete. And we can anticipate that day with joy. We can look ahead. Uh, We have a living hope, the Bible tells us. Because of that, we see that ahead. We know that's coming, so we work on it today. And not only do we look ahead to that, we see victories that we have on a day-to-day basis and thank the Lord for them. We give thanks. We recognize that he's the, 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 the engine behind why it's happening. And we can have joy in those victories as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, using them, those victories, as motivation to push forward in the walk and also have joy in it um, and ultimately bring glory to God, which is our design. Let's pray.